Gond is the god of artifice, craft, and smith work. He and his faith look to further the advancement of all craft work throughout the realms. Trade secrets and new inventions are the prized possessions of the Gondar faith. I am Ben Dignan, and welcome once again to Religion in the Realms. Titles Gon goes by the following titles Wonderbringer, Lord of All Smiths, The Inspiration Divine, and The Holy Maker of All Things. Gond has two known aliases. First, Gond is known as Nebulon in the Gnomish Pantheon. In Estagun, Durpar, and Var the Golden in southeastern Faerun, Gond is known as Zionil one of the five popular aspects of the Adama. We will discuss both of these aliases in turn throughout the podcast. Nebulin has one title, the Meddler. There are two chief adjectives used to refer to Gon's clergy in practice, Gonsman and Gondar. Gonsman is used in other contexts, so I've gone forward just using Gondar in the episode for clarity's sake. I have seen Ed Greenwood refer to the clergy of Gond as Gondites as well. Likely, all are used interchangeably in the realms. Portfolio and Domains Gond holds the portfolios of artifice, craft, construction, and smithwork. Gond's suggested domains for 5th edition are Knowledge and Forge. Appearance and Manifestations Gond is both depicted and known to present himself as a beefy smith who works continuously at his forge and anvil. From his workshop, Gond creates, as one of his titles suggests, magnificent wonders from extraordinary and otherworldly materials. Gond's avatars usually manifest in his places of worship and rarely outside of these places. His avatars take on the appearance of a shorter human man with straw-blonde hair, or in other instances a beefy red-faced blacksmith. Finally, as was seen in the Time of Troubles, Gon's avatar may appear as a gnome. All his avatars have faces that have been scarred from long hours spent at the forge. Typically, the avatars wear an inquisitive expression. Each avatar wears a well-worn and scorched smock, over simple leathers. Gon's personal weapon is a warhammer he has called Craftmaster. In 3rd edition mechanics, this is a plus 4 warhammer with the impact, returning, seeking, and throwing properties. Gon has two known manifestations. The first and most common is a blacksmith's hammer surrounded in gray smoke. The second and final manifestation is a pair of black eyes surrounded by the same gray smoke. The din of blacksmiths hammering away can be heard alongside this manifestation. Each manifestation can speak aloud to its audience and cast spells. The spells cast are accompanied by a burst of gray smoke. 
These manifestations are either sent to his faithful to assist in their inventions or modifications. The manifestation is also sent to help his faithful get out of a bind. In the latter situation, the manifestation grants the faithful an item, either magical or mundane. Typically, the use of this item is temporary, as it will disappear in a puff of smoke once the faithful are done with it. Gon makes use of the following creatures to communicate his approval, disapproval, or aid his mortal followers. Baku Holy Ones, Einhariar, who were once inventors. Golems, Lightning Mephits, Maruts, Pseudo-Dragons, Steel Dragons, Crystal Dragons, and animated objects of all sorts. Abilities to start in 1st edition, and early on in 2nd edition, Gond was listed as a lesser power. Later in 2nd edition and through into 3rd, Gond was known as an intermediate power. We saw an advancement in rank for Denier and Malil as well. Though like them, no mention as to why this advancement occurred is given. Forward into 4th edition, Gond was known as simply a god. The rank of God is the middle deific rank in 4th edition. It resides between Exarch and Greater God. He is one of a handful of deities whom we have a full stat block from 3rd edition's face and pantheons. We will touch on some of the abilities presented in the stat block. You may also find a stat block for his avatar in the same source, and a 2nd edition avatar stat block in face and avatars. As an intermediate level deity, Gond is granted a number of powerful abilities both in game terms and the narrative. Since they were laid out in 3rd edition, these abilities reflect that game system. Gond immediately receives a die result of 20 on any check he makes. If Gond rolls a 1 on his attack rolls and saving throws, these are not just seen as automatic failures, rather they are treated as normal rolls. Gon's divine senses extend out to a distance of 12 miles, which is approximately 19 kilometers. His divine senses extend out from his worshippers, holy sites, objects, or a location where his name or one of his titles was spoken in the last hour. His divine senses can be divided in 10 different locations at once. Gond is able to block the senses of other deities of his power level or lore at two different locations for a maximum of 12 hours. Gond also has a divine portfolio sense that grants him the knowledge of craftwork or construction the moment it happens, and Gond holds on to the knowledge of these events for 1210 days, which is 120 days. Gond knows in a similar vein the destruction of any constructed item. Gond is able to create any magic item that does not use only natural, unmodified components so long as the value does not exceed 200,000 gold pieces. As an example, he could create a carved and sanded magical wooden staff. However, he could not make a staff out of an unworked tree branch. Third edition's Faiths and Pantheons describe the powers of Gon's avatar. However, second edition's Faiths and Avatars is far broader in its description of Gon's avatar. Thus, we will be referring to these mechanics instead. Each avatar is capable of summoning plate armor made of glass to surround his form. This glass is as strong as steel. Gon's avatar does not wear the armor so much as the armor hovers around his body. 
The avatar may access spells from any school or sphere, though alteration spells are cast at double their effectiveness, and opponents suffer from a negative 2 penalty to save against these alteration spells. Gon's avatar wields a magical hammer which holds the power of a hammer of thunderbolts. In the avatar's hands, the hammer can be tossed out to a range of 360 feet, and their strikes are as powerful as one who wears a girdle of giant strength. Any true giant, giant kin, or golems the hammer hits are instantly killed. Other creatures within 90 feet of the impact of the hammer become stunned for one round. The avatar can summon an arquebus, fully loaded and ready to fire. He can do this every round, disposing of the old fired one as he summons a newly loaded arquebus into one of his hands. The avatar can also summon any non-unique magic item into their hands that is not an artifact or currently in the possession of another deity. No metal weapons and weapons made through foraging and other metal tools can harm the avatar. The avatar can break down regular magic items by casting the 9th level spell Mordenkainen's Disjunction once per round. Metallic items that hit him are disintegrated instantly. Magical items must make a save or suffer the same fate. Golems and other animated constructs cannot be willed to attack or harm Gon's avatar. Firearms cannot harm the avatar either. Personal History At some point in the history of the realms, Gond adopted the alias and aspect of a gnome god called Nebulon. Nebulon is an actual gnomish power on other prime material worlds. Nebulon is a wholly separate gnome entity from Gond. However, Gond came to be called Nebulon by a significant portion of the gnomish population, and Gond accepted this aspect. As a result, Gond is considered part of the gnome pantheon, though he is referred to as Nebulon in that racial pantheon. When Gond fell down to Faerun during the Time of Troubles in 1358 Dale Reckoning, Gond's avatar took its gnome form. Gond washed upon a beach in Lantan. The Lantanese soon uncovered who this gnome truly was. For the rest of the Time of Troubles, Gond was held safely and worshipped by his devoted followers. This event lent even further credence to the gnome's belief in Nebulon. In repayment to the Lantanese, Gon gifted them with a secret knowledge of smoke powder. From there, early advancements into firearms began to proliferate out from Lantan. In the conflicts between Mistra and Cirque in the Avatar series and novels, which take place not too long after the Time of Troubles, Cirque contracted Gon to build powerful constructs. These constructs were sent down to the Prime Material to hunt down those who spoke any heretical words about Cyric and Zental Keep. Mistra would personally stop these efforts of the constructs, which assisted in undermining Cyric's plot to further engrow his influence both on the Prime Material and in the Outer Plains. This was one event of many leading to Cyric's deposition of his seat as God of the Dead as Kalimvor eventually took his place. Personality. Gond is a neutral god and an unaligned god in 4th edition's alternative alignment system. Gond's chief concern is the continuous development of new inventions and creations throughout the realms. Despite the frustrations of his superior Ogma, Gond has no time to dwell on the implications of new inventions brought forth by the people of Faerun. 
Gond is always experimenting and creating. As a result, he has need of strange and fantastic ingredients and components that he may need to source from the unscrupulous and vile occasionally. Likewise, he may be sponsored by such individuals. Gon's moods vary. You may find him to be inattentive, sardonic, and or belittling at times, though you may catch him on a good day where he is nothing but friendly, knowledgeable, and encouraging. Gond is supportive of his faith, but his attention is divided often. While he may not immediately attend to his worshippers' prayers, he will set aside time in the future to do so. Personal Realms In the Great Wheel cosmological model used in 1st edition, 2nd edition, and is the assumed default model for 5th edition Forgotten Realms, Gond resides on the neutral outer plane of the Outlands. The plane of the Outlands may also be referred to as the Concordant Opposition. It is the true neutral outer plane that is coterminous with every other outer plane. Here can be found Gon's divine realm known as Wanderhome. The Outlands is the center of the outer planes. Here all the outer planes connect with the Outlands and the Outlands serve as a neutral meeting ground. All sorts of planar beings walk openly in the Outlands not bound to the different rules of the different planes that may restrict them as an outsider. Much of the wild terrain outside of deific realms is varied and reminiscent of the terrain types found on the prime material. In the middle of the outlands is a massive spire visible to all in the outlands, and above this spire rests Sigil, the city of doors. As one moves closer to the spire, powerful magical abilities begin to be neutralized. At the base of the spire, even deific powers cease. This great spire is regarded by some to be the axle around which all the outer planes spin. At the periphery of the outlands are 16 portal towns, which all house a portal to the respective outer plane. The deific realms of true neutral deities and or deities of scholarship or nature are typically found in the outlands. Ogma's realm of the House of Knowledge is found in the much larger shared realm of Tirnanog, inhabited by members of the Celtic pantheon, which Ogma still remains a part of despite still being a member of the Faerunian pantheon. There is more to be said about the Outlands, but I will keep it limited to this brief overview. To my knowledge, there is no description of Gon's realm of Wonderhome in the Great Wheel. In the World Tree cosmological model used for 3rd edition Forgotten Realms, Gon resides on the plane of the House of Knowledge. This plane is presided over by Gon's superior, Ogma. The house is really several different buildings here or there across the plane. The rest of the plane is dominated by a forest of old oak trees and pools of clear water. Constellations dot the night sky, and continuous harp music echoes throughout the plane spanning forest. Denier, Malil, and Gond do not have their own realms here. Instead, they frequent and favor other buildings that likely contain material and subjects of a greater interest to them. There is a massive workshop among the House of Knowledge known as Wonderhome. This workshop is the closest thing to a separate divine realm on the plane. Within the workshop can be found magnificent inventions. Some of these inventions are known to the people of the realms. Others remain undiscovered until perhaps one day inspires people to create such things 
and or Ogma allows Gon to disseminate such ideas to the wider population. On this plane, knowledge both orally and written is valued highly and preserved. The petitioners that reside in the House of Knowledge look much like they did in their mortal lives. Flandel Steelskin, one of Gon's allies in the Gnomish Pantheon, has established a shared portal to connect Flandel's realm of Mithril Forge to that of Gon's realm. Within the 4th edition cosmological model known as the World Axis, Gon resides on Ogma's domain known as the House of Knowledge out in the Astral Sea. Frankly, its description is more or less the same as that of the description of the House of Knowledge in the World Tree model. Gon favors his respective part of the domain known as Wonder Home. Allies and Allegiances Gond is a member of the gods of knowledge and invention presided over by Ogma. While Ogma may be his superior, Gond more or less operates on his own with little to no oversight from Ogma. Some people are even completely unaware that Gond has a superior at all as a result. Gond makes the original ideas held in Ogma's portfolio concrete in form. Though there is a tension between Ogma and Gond, with some recent inventions that have been let out on Faerun. Ogma is cautious of the knowledge he allows in the realms, given the implications that may arise. As I mentioned earlier, Gon does not have time to think on implications. Within the deities of knowledge and invention, Gond is accompanied by Malil and Anir, though neither of these two are mentioned as one of Gon's allies. Rather, Malil and Gon do not see eye to eye and have a strained relationship. No mention of Gon's and Daenerys' relationship is given, though it is likely just one of indifference. In the rest of the Faerunian pantheon, Gon is allies with Lathander, Joaquin, and Tempest. Through his and his faithful's creations, they assist the portfolios of creativity held by Lathander, profit held by Joaquin, and war held by Tempest. Joaquin, in particular, is willing to quickly adopt the inventions Gond and his faithful introduce into the realms to further her own portfolios. Outside of the Faerunian pantheon, Gond is allies with Morden, head of the Dwarven pantheon, Dogmarin Brightmantle, a Dwarven god of scholarship and discovery, Dumathoan, Dwarven god of secrets of the earth and guardian of the dead, Vergadane, Dwarven god of wealth and knowledge, and Sir Olali, Halfling goddess of hearth and friendship. Dogmarin and Gond have been known to become invested in certain exploits. Dumathoan is known for trading with other gods from other pantheons who do business in ore and metal. In a single sentence, it is mentioned that Shantia and Gond hold a friendly rivalry. What this rivalry entails goes unsaid. Neither of them are listed as allies of one another, though. Enemies Gond has one chief foe. Gond despises Talos. Gond cannot abide unhindered destruction as it targets inventions and craft far too often. But by having a portfolio over destruction, Talos also has innate ties with any tools of destruction that are created. For the foreseeable future, Gond and Talos have overlapping portfolios, unfortunately. In the past, Mistra held Gond as a rival, though that conflict seems to have fallen away. Symbols In the Faerunian pantheon, Gon's faith has one known symbol, with some variation. A tooth cog with four spokes. 
though depictions of the symbol vary in the material the cog is made out of, bone, metal, or wood. Central Dogma From Faiths and Pantheons from 3rd Edition Quote, Actions count. Intentions are one thing, but it is the result that is most important. Talk is for others, while those who serve God do. Make new things that work. Become skilled at forging or some craft, and practice making things and various means of joining and fastening until you can create devices to suit any situation or space. Question and challenge the unknown with new devices. New inventions should be elegant and useful. Practice experimentation and innovation in the making of tools and the implementation of processes and encourage these virtues in others through direct aid, sponsorship, and diplomatic support. Keep records of your strivings, ideas, and sample devices so that others may follow your work and improve on what you leave behind and encourage others, such as farmers and hunters, to think of new tools, improved ways of crafting, and using their existing gear and new ways of doing things. Observe, acquire, and store safely the makings of others and spread such knowledge among the consecrated of God. Discuss ideas and spread them so that all may see the divine light that is the wonder-bringer. End quote. Presence of the Faith Gon's clerics tend to hold any alignment across the alignment spectrum. The clergy's chief concern is if the individual has a strong desire and interest in craftwork and invention. Typically, Gon worshippers include blacksmiths, craftspeople from all walks, engineers, a substantial population of the gnomes, inventors, and woodworkers. While the Gondar faith harbors many regular craft workers, it also harbors eccentric inventors whose ideas often annoy or frustrate the general population. Prayers may be said in Gon's name when undertaking craft work. However, even lay folk typically know that Gon's attention is given more to those involved in invention. In Lantan, the Gondar faith is, and maybe still is, the state religion. It is thought that Gon entered into the Faerunian pantheon due to his introduction into wider Faerunian society by the Lantanese. One of the cataclysmic events of the Spell Plague was Lantan's disappearance after it was claimed by tsunamis. However, Lantan returned to Toro with the second sundering. Like Halrua, it was shifted to Abir, Toro's twin planet. Though the Lantanese did not make plans to hide away from the spell plague, say like the nation of Halrua did. Lantan had not divined the calamities of the spell plague. How things stand in Lantan now is a mystery to all save the Lantanese. Lantanese merchants, who have begun to ply their trade along the Sword Coast again following Lantan's return, have yet to divulge any real information as to how things stand back home. They certainly seem interested in procuring wood, metal, and raw materials in exchange for odd gems and curious gold coins. The way Lantan's situation reads, it's clear to me that wizards likely wants DMs to come up with their own answer as to what happened with Lantan. That said, before Lantan fell under the effects of the spell plague, it was a nation of advanced artifice and craft. All sorts of unique clockwork items would make their way across the sea from Lantan, 
and show up on the mainland of Faerun. If I have understood what I read initially in 1st edition, Lantan was just populated by humans. From 2nd edition onwards, you begin to read about a mixed human and known population who inhabited the islands. Leading to further confusion about Lantan, it's a 3rd edition description whereby they describe it is a nation that solves their problems through engineering and craftwork, where others would do the same with magic. Though come 4th edition, this changes whereby sources describe that the artifices of Lantan were bastions of combining both arcane and craftwork together to build their marvels. Lantanese merchants can be found with bars of electrum and platinum. Each is marked with Gon's symbol. These are known as trade bars, and outside of Lantan, they are encountered mostly in the cities along the Sword Coast or other hubs for Lantanese merchants. Another currency brought over from Lantan are Gon bells. They are small brass bells which house an ornamental stone inside. They are worth about 10 gold pieces to most folks, though hold a typical value of 20 gold pieces for the Gondar clergy. They are often an alternative currency the Gondar clergy use to trade amongst themselves. As discussed earlier, Gond is considered a member of the Gnomish pantheon. His gnome worshippers know him as Nebulon. Should gnomes refer to him by his Faerunian pantheon name, they prefer to call him Gond Wonderbringer. The reason being, this naming scheme fits the rest of the gnomish pantheon, where the gods of the Golden Hills mostly include first name and last name. For example, Garl Glittergold, Berbar Cloakshadow, so on and so forth. In Durpar, Estagun, and Var the Golden, found in southeastern Faerund, Gond is venerated as Zionil, an aspect of the Adama. The Adama is a religious concept of a world spirit that encapsulates and runs through all creatures and things, the deities included. The aspect of Zionil holds the same portfolio as Gond, despite the different identity. Along with Zionil, the deities who best align with the code of the Adama are Kurna, an aspect of Ogma, Lucha or Luca, who is an aspect of Salune, Torm, and Joaquin. Some part of the Mistran faith are suspicious of the Gondar faith. They dislike the prospect that ever-expanding technology may come to usurp the arcane arts. Gond and his clergy have no plans of abandoning the arcane arts altogether for pure mechanical technology. In their mind, magic is one of the many tools that they can make use of in their own craft and invention. Now that being said, the edition agnostic source book, Ed Greenwood Presents Elminster's Guide to the Forgotten Realms, adds a wrinkle to how the Gondar faith operates. Along with the known public creed the Gondar subscribe to, there's reportedly a nefarious secret creed they also hold. It is as follows, quote, Influence or control every ruler possible, so the works of Gond will be embraced by and forced on, if need be, everyone smashing guilds and others who won't champion them. Covertly enrich oneself personally by selling Gondar wonders, and by cheaply buying up the lands and buildings of those ruined by competition over such wonders. Work to become so wealthy that you can live like a king, and overwhelm and subsume the church of Joaquin, just as Gond shall conquer and wed Joaquin herself. 
Whenever a wizard or other wielder of art destroys something mechanical or its maker without just personal cause, avenge that blow. Eliminate spellcasters who openly deride hate or fear inventions and mechanics covertly whenever possible, but openly if you must. To the public, magic and mechanics are not at war. Privately, they are deadly foes. So smile and be an ally in public, but await a good chance to smite spellcasters who denigrate or oppose Gond. End quote. Now, no other sourcebooks makes claim to such a secret agenda held by the Gondar faith. One that is clearly less neutral, shall we say, than the one mentioned publicly. I have my opinions on the matters to whether to include the secret creed or not in how I run the realms. As always, I leave it to you how you want to treat it. I will add that on top of this creed, Elminster's Guide to the Forgotten Realms mentions a couple other things. Chiefly, that many Gondar are always hoarding and scheming a way to inject themselves into the power structures of government. Generally, the Gondar faith is accepted widely throughout all sorts of communities with differing alignments. Merchants are known to establish relationships with the Gondar faith in order to get in on the early stages of subinvention or contraption. Through these devices, merchants stand to make a large profit if the demand is there. However, this relationship is a double-edged sword at times, for a new Gondar invention may usurp former products and goods well-established in markets throughout the realms. Smoke powder and the firearms that use it stand as an example of such products. Many rulers from across Faerun are annoyed by this invention and what knock-on consequences will manifest. Smoke powder allows for the explosive power and damage of a spellcaster to be wielded by any commoner. Despite the danger it poses, the Gondar faith ensures that they regulate and protect the supplies in their places of worship. Any smoke powder that leaks out is hunted down with the full force the local clergy can muster. Referring back to the pre-4th edition era of realms, arquebuses are by far the most common firearm made in Lantan. You can find the symbol of God marked into the stock of the weapon. They made their way across Faerun from Lantan starting in the Time of Troubles, but are viewed commonly as an odd weapon and see little use outside of the Gondar faith. Now what is interesting is that in 2nd edition's Forgotten Realms Adventures sourcebook, the book spells out how much firearms proliferate is up to you as the DM. Even today, I know there are strong opinions about the inclusion of firearms in Dungeons & Dragons. This second edition book supplies an actual timeline tracking what the writers thought to be an acceptable trend of firearms finding widespread acceptance and use. Though I will say that maybe it taking only five years for Archibuses to find a place in every large and prominent weapons shop is somewhat fast. There is further discussion and statistics provided for other firearms and cannons as well, but I think it best to leave this topic for someone else to cover. You will find that Gond is a popular choice for both Fire and Earth Genasi clerics. Fire Genasis typically don't have the demeanor to be focused craft workers, but they show Gond favoritism due to the development of smoke powder and the fiery displays it creates. As such, you will find a good amount of Fire Genasi to be early adopters of firearms. Hierarchy and Structure of the Clergy 
Those Gondar who reside on the continent proper of Faerun are typically itinerant, traveling continuously and extensively. They offer their services willingly to the smallest of hamlets and to the largest of cities. Gondar aren't fond of their fellows who decide to set down roots in one place. Though exceptions do exist whereby Gondar set up a center of innovation and creation where their full attention and supervision is warranted. In Lantan, the Gondar clergy are settled, sticking to their respective place of worship. In the past, in Lantan, the Gondar clergy are settled, sticking to their respective place of worship. A high artificer, most holy servant of Gond, did reside in Lantan before the spell plague. On paper, the high artificer's authority extends to all Gondar. However, in actual practice, there are three recognized and loose branches of the faith. The first branch is on Lantan proper, where the High Artificer was both a political and religious leader. The other two branches of the faith were not really discussed at all, but I imagine they are tied to two other important Gondar places of worship on the continent proper. Following the description of the High Artificer, there is mention of the House of the Wonderbringer's destruction in Tilverton. So I imagine Cormir may have at one time been the hub for one of the Gondar branches. The other one, perhaps, is in Baldur's Gate. Politically, the High Artificer led the council that governed Lantan, known as the Aerok. The authority and words of the High Artificer were carried over by the Lantar, a hand-picked high-ranking cleric, and by the traveling Lantanese and those who settled elsewhere throughout the continent. With Lantan's disappearance, the High Artificer found residence elsewhere, which we will talk about in the specific places of worship section of the podcast. Whether the High Artificer and the Central Gondar Authority are attempting to relocate to Lantan now goes unsaid. Though that may be an interesting thing to explore in your own world building and games. There are more men in the Gondar faith compared to women. There are no barriers to women, however, in joining the clergy as they can hold the same positions and offices. Humans outnumber gnomes as well, though following Gond's gnomish appearance after the Time of Troubles, the gnomish population in the faith only increased. The following division of the faith uses character options from 2nd edition that no longer exist, so do what you may with the following information. On mainland Faerun, Gondar clerics outnumber their specialty priest fellows known as Gonsmen, 15 to 1. On Lantan, that ratio is reversed and even greater. Here, Gonsmen outnumber Gondar clerics 20 to 1. On Lantan, the clerics of Gond are known as the Cree. This is a regional term that is translated to disadvantaged. The faith of Nebulon remains a part of the Gondar clergy in spite of their view of their patron deity. At least in the second edition lore, there was a small faction or cult of gnomes who felt Gond and Nebulon were entirely separate beings. Though how successful they were in breaking off from the Gondar clergy was not discussed in any later sources I read. Depending on the source you go by, Gondar clergy may hold different names for one another. According to 2nd edition's Faiths and Avatars, the Gondar regard one another as the consecrated of Gond collectively. Individually, they regard one another as fellow consecrates. In Elminster's Guide to the Forgotten Realms, they regard one another as Wonderbringers an homage to their patron deity's most commonly used title, no doubt. They may then address each other as brother, fellow, or sister artificer. 
The ranks of the Gondar faith in ascending order are Wanderer, who is a novice of the faith, the seeker postulant, clergy member in training, seeker after small things, which is the first rank of the full clergy, greater seeker, seeker of the twelfth order, seeker of the eleventh order, and then so on and so forth up to the first order, high seeker, which is first rank of the senior clergy, master, who is the leader and tender of a community and or holy site, and finally the high artificer, leader of the entire Gondar clergy. Clergy are encouraged to act on their own, but they are expected to follow the orders and dictates of their hierarchy. While the Artificer, to my knowledge, became its own full class in 3rd edition, you can see the lore being tweaked in 4th edition to merge the Artificer with what was already understood of the Gondar faith. In particular, the Gondar or Gonsmen, specifically from Lantan, became actual Artificers in the class sense. Still, they held a strong involvement in the faith, but their powers were drawn from arcane sources rather than, say, divine sources like the rest of the Gondar clergy. As artifice spread out from Lantan, artificers from different regions began to emerge. Artificers and clergy worked easily in tandem, using both arcane and divine powers to better understand rare and new items that they come across. Some artificers do multi-class into cleric to become a formal member of the Gondar clergy, if not just remain a devoted worshipper and active member in the faith. Responsibilities and Duties of the Faithful With the items they carry upon and within their vestments, and the knowledge they have accumulated, Gondar clergy are to assist folks in a multitude of different repairs, construction, and invention. As they travel, Gondar clergy take along journals. Within, they write down all the new information about innovations and inventions they encounter. This they then share with other Gondar clergy. These journals may then be turned over to a master later at a Gondar place of worship. There, the resident clergy will commit these journals' entries to paper to archive such knowledge for posterity. Gondar are encouraged to accept and ask payment for their services. While they travel, they are to make alliances, deposit caches of items and wealth, and make investments. The formulas for several sealants, cleaners, and other concoctions, chiefly among them being smoke powder, are heavily guarded secrets of the clergy. Jars of such concoctions and products can bring in a good amount of coin for the traveling clergy. They may also supplement their income with a sale of carry tools and implements. Orders and Priestly Bodies The Gondar faith sponsors and supports a variety of different societies and orders of craftspeople. Some of these include the Order of Pleasant Stonemasons and Stonecarvers, the Holy Order of Most Skilled Architects and Bridgemakers, the Armorers of the Wonderbringer, the Most Arcane Order of Gearmakers, Clockmakers, and Automationists, the Society of Creative Castle Design and Construction, and the Industrious Brothers and Sisters of Carpentry, Cabinetry, Puppetry, and Toy Making. The eccentric techsmiths are a Gondar group who are renowned for the construction of small golems who help in the civic tasks of a settlement. Their tradition is Lantanese only, but techsmiths do tend to settle or travel to many different settlements. As such, they specialize in the construction of constructs, 
They also specialize in disabling or destroying troublesome constructs. A defining feature of the TechSmith is the Gonsman construct that is the TechSmith's personal assistant. The two share a telepathic and empathetic bond. A second specialty, though falling slightly below constructs and favoritism, is smoke powder, firearms, and explosives. TechSmiths vary widely in their alignments. It is possible to see them acting in support or remaining neutral in a variety of different situations. The Holy Builders really are not all that much different when you get down to it from the rest of the Gondar clergy. They adore improving, fixing, and building a variety of different objects. The one key difference, though, is just how absorbed they are in their work, that they often forget that they are active clergy members with other responsibilities. As a result, they are not able to turn undead like other priests and clerics, and have a penalty to their initiative scores due to the many distractions around them. But the time to craft or repair any item takes them half the time. Appearance and Dress The Gondar clergy wear saffron robes with a red collar and stole. A leather sash runs from one shoulder to the opposite hip. The sash holds within its folds an array of small tools and materials. One of the ends of the sash ends in a large pouch. Such items are used in their travels to assist lay folk who may be in need of such objects or components. Around their waists, they wear belts of linked medallions. On their heads, they wear unusually large and wide-rimmed sun hats. Much like artistic depictions of the Gondar symbol, the clergy wear holy symbols that may be made of bone, wood, metal, or ivory. When adventuring, Gondar clergy are allowed to wear any armor of their choosing. They also wear their leather sash over top. Often, most just hire martial types to protect them. They come well equipped with a bevy of leather slings, baldrics, and pouches packed tight with needed supplies. They wield abnormal weapons, opting for bulky rings that function like brass knuckles, improvise clubs from their carried gear, and at least three or four knives which serve other functions. Specifically, some Gondar have a liking for removable boot heel knives. They may not be thieves by trade, but many of them carry several of the tools utilized by thieves like files and lockpicks. Thus, they have an understanding of these tools, just not from the perspective of a criminal, but as a locksmith. You may also find Gondar in the possession of small flasks filled with smoke powder. They light the wick on these flasks and fling them at the enemy for a small but respectable amount of fire damage. Holy builders dress in leather aprons and dark colors. Dark colors explicitly chosen to hide the grease, marks, and stains that they inevitably get covered in. They favor clothing with many pockets, and sticking out of their pockets are parchment, notes, quills, and rulers. It isn't explicitly said how the Gondar holy symbol is worn by the holy builders, only to say that it is prominent on their person. Rituals Gondar clerics and priests pray and meditate on their spells in the morning before taking the morning meal. Daily prayers are simple in form. Small prayers can be muttered as the clergy get dressed and later disrobe before settling down to rest. A longer prayer is reserved before taking the main meal of the day. A longer prayer is said when Gondar begin their work on a new item or object. It is a prayer of thanks and dedication to Gond. Gond has one holy day known as Ippenshir. It takes place during the 12 days following green grass, 
the festival day that lands between the months of Tarsac and Myrtle to welcome spring on Faerun. The name of Epinshir is a dedication to Ippin, a venerated figure in the Gondar faith who is also known as Gon's first servant. Accounts speak of how the visage of Ippin may appear before Gondar in great need during the twelve days. During these twelve days, the clergy are to first come to a Gondar place of worship, where a great inventor once worked. These twelve days are used as a time of celebration and revelry. The Gondar feast and drink while showing off and discussing their latest creations. Many Gondar utilize various portals in these places of worship to travel to other places to do much of the same with their fellows in another region. Other than the information I just mentioned, I did not come across any more information about Ippin. I have to wonder if he was an early prophet of Gond, perhaps one who came from Lantan to introduce the Gondar faith to wider Faerun. When the clergy of Gond discover a new tool or contraption, they are to go through specific steps. First, the Gondar clergy are to make two copies of this one object. One of the copies is to be hidden away for later investigation by the clergy and to hide away from prying eyes. The second copy is destroyed in a rite known as the secret unmasking. The preferred method, if possible, is to incinerate the object. If not possible, simply smashing the object will suffice. In other cases, sacred unmasking chant is recited while the object is unmade. This rite symbolizes both Gon's influence over both constructive and destructive engineering. As of the post-Spellplague era, the clergy have taken the smashing smaller replicas made of wood to fulfill the sacred unmasking, though some still practice the old way. The Day of Wonders is a Waterdeep-specific festival held annually around High Harvest Tide, or specifically on Marpernoth III if you go by recent 5th edition sources. The Gondar clergy unveil and parade their creations that they have worked on over the past year to the public. In the past, the clockwork dragon turtle sank during a nautical exhibition and is now part of Umberley's cache at the bottom of the Deepwater Harbor. General Locations of Places of Worship Gondar places of worship double as centers of craftwork and invention with, with different workshops and laboratories within. Such rooms are found in the back rooms of temples and monasteries. Often such rooms hold both active and abandoned projects of the clergy. Architecturally, these places are most often made of stone with hard angles and boxy shapes. The outsides feature porticos supported by pillars. Gondar places of worship rarely feature decorative features or adornments. Clergy are fond of putting either historic or brand new inventions and creations out on display. The altar is located centrally, and it always takes the form of a large anvil. Around this altar is a mechanical contraption featuring gears spinning in continuous motion. Discussed earlier, the former places of research and work for renowned inventors are holy in pilgrimage sites for the Gondar. Often such places are found in remote towers and within cavern systems. 
Gondar places of worship maintain a substantial portal network that allows them to move from holy place to holy place with ease. This primarily allows for the easy and quick exchange of information about new inventions and creations. Specific Places of Worship The Lantanese Gondar built a temple to Gond on the largest island of the Green Sisters. The Green Sisters are an archipelago of islands just to the east of the continent of Mastika. This island was named St. Ippin to honor this exalted figure in the Gondar faith. Now, it is said that the faithful began construction on a building known as the Great Lighthouse. I don't know if the lighthouse is the temple proper or another building separate from the temple. The center of Gondar worship along the Sword Coast is in Baldur's Gate. Here can be found two centers of Gondar influence. First is the temple proper known as the High House of Wonders. This temple has a past of dangerous occurrences, usually explosions, happening on its grounds. Second is the museum known as the House of Wonders. The museum houses safe objects that the Gondar clergy know are not prone to volatility. The museum contains a unique and wide array of inventions and mechanical contraptions otherwise not seen so easily by layfolk. The local clergy staff the museum. They are vigilant of both the displays and their visitors, especially the gnomes. If the coin is right, the clergy may even sell expensive contraptions they have stored down in the museum's cellars. The Gondar clergy make a point to buy up the rights to several inventions created outside of their clergy. From there, production leads to new markets for enterprising merchants who know to keep in touch with what is coming out of the temple complex here in the city. Both temple and museum feature heavy, levitating front double doors. In the event of an attack, the magic keeping them aloft can be nullified, causing them to fall atop the attackers. All these doors have white cogs upon them that spin clockwise continuously. The secret vaults below both contain items of significance to the Gondar clergy, as well as vaults that are rented out to wealthy patrons looking to hide away all their valuables. Several areas of both buildings are warded in such a way to protect the property of the clergy. Everyone must carry a ward token with them at all times to avoid setting off alarms and traps of different varieties, save those who only want to set foot in the public worship areas of the High House of Wonders. For some reason, the High House of Wonders became a temple to Ogma in the 4th edition era of the realms, though come 5th edition it was reverted back to a place of worship for Gond. The center of the Gondar faith was the High Holy Craft House of Inspiration found in Lantan's capital city of Ilol. Here resided the High Artificer in this holiest of Gondar monasteries. The five-storied House of the Wonderbringer, which is called the Temple of God Wondermaker in another source in Tilberton, used to be the central hub for the Gondar faith in central Faerun until its destruction. It was formerly known as Gari's House, named after a former high priest who disappeared. While it stood, its main entrance and altar were shaped like an anvil. The pillars that supported the building were designed to look like swords. The window frames were designed to look like interlocking hammers. Throne Rock is not necessarily a place of worship, but it is a fortress that was run and may still be run by a high-level Gondar cleric. It can be found on the island of Turn. I don't know if this cleric was exiled from a nation or the Gondar faith. 
Either way, it would seem he has not lost his divine powers, telling me that he likely did not slight his patron deity at least. Here the cleric resides with many human and dwarven alchemists and artificers. Throne Rock is protected by a bevy of glyphs. An unnamed temple to Gon in Byzantur is made of large riveted iron plates. Its gates clank, and its many chimneys and vents have smoke or steam billing out of them. Though occasionally odd clouds of mysterious substances flow out of these openings as well. The temple is protected by several traps and clergy who wield archibuses. There are rumors to suggest that automatons are also present in the temple to aid in its defense. Candlekeep is held to be a place of worship to the Gondar faith and other knowledge-based faiths. The clergy of Gond are one of a select group of people who do not have to donate a new tome or work to Candlekeep to receive admittance. Instead, Gondar are admitted for free. However, they often will bring a donation anyways. A shrine to Gond can be found in Candlekeep. It is found in a demiplanar chamber attached to the hearth, Candlekeep's own tavern. The House of Inspired Hands can be found in the Sea Ward of Waterdeep. Inside can be seen and heard the latest nosy creations of the faithful. To the south is Gond Watch Lane. Here in this lane, the clergy test out their creations deemed too volatile to test inside the temple proper. As a result, the lane has become charred in several places. People love to stand and watch these tests while enterprising vendors make use of the spectacle to sell their food among the audience. Within this temple is a chamber known as the Hall of Exemplary Invention. Upon two dozen pedestals are displayed miniature models of remarkable inventions from history. More as a place of interest than it is a place of worship, there is a large water clock built and maintained by the Gondar faith down in Skullport. This massive clock is housed within a stalactite in a central location of the port. It tracks the passing of days, 10 days, months, and the passage of the sun daily. It is attended to around the clock by Gondar clergy stationed here. It has a variety of magical protections to ensure this complex device is not tampered with by the locals and visitors. On a small island in the middle of Yel Tangri is the Great Spire of the Ice Sea. The spire is said to be cathedral-like in appearance as it glints and shines with the sunlight. People can see it as a result from anywhere along the shoreline. The Great Spire was created and is occupied by a Gondar cult of gnomes. The gnomes live in half-buried homes on the island. They work away constructing the strong glass needed to extend the tower's height. This cult became aware of an ancient prophecy that told of how the world would be returned to the glory of Gond after such a structure was completed. Whether true or not, this gnome cult strives to see the prophecy fulfilled. For all their work, they are combated by a splinter group of the cult who are known as the Glass Breakers. The Glass Breakers interpret the prophecy differently. To them, by returning the world to Gond, the world will be plunged into fire, as if to be forged again. At least that's the way I interpret their belief. The Breakers live away from their fellow gnomes and sabotage the work of the cult with every chance they get. The House of Gond is found in now-abandoned Assembra. The front of this temple featured stone cogs that spun slowly. Each cog was enchanted to give off dim light in the dark. The clergy who once inhabited this temple were unfortunately stuffy and conservative. They only showed run-of-the-mill inventions to the public. 
At the same time, they would ask continuously for donations, though only truly supporting those who made sizable donations. Lazantol, sometimes referred to the City of Smiths, is found in the nation of Lapalia. The settlements of this nation have civic deities, and Lazantol is no different. This small city holds Gond as its civic deity. A large known population dwells here, and all sorts of metal and craft work are produced. In the 3rd edition era, at least, the city was led by an exiled Lantanese master smith. The Temple of Gon found in Port Nianzaru can be found by the royal docks. At the center of this boxy stone temple is a complex, large fountain. It is rigged so that water comes out in the form of complex shapes. Preceding the Spell Plague, Lantanese gnomes were attempting to develop the first non-magic portal in the realms. When it was written about, the gnomes had set up a typical magical portal to remain there temporarily while they finished work around the original project. The non-magic portal was to be powered by a complex network of connected steam engines. The temporary portal led to a desolate spot out in the Mulharandi Dust Desert. The intention was to allow the non-magic portal to shift its destination through an auxiliary steam engine system. When this non-magic portal was first tested, it did malfunction and was not stable. Some gnomes ended up way off course. Some disappeared entirely, while another test team was found dead. The Turning Wheel is a Gondar temple found in Raven's Bluff. This temple previously had a mishap with the local mystery and clergy when they attempted to build a flying vessel that both utilized magic and physics to fly only for it to crash through the Mistran Temple roof on its maiden voyage. Passing overhead, the Mistran Temple caused the vessel's magical enchantments to become nullified. Three clergy members are always present in an annex at the rear of the temple to attend to repairs. Usually the repairs are done so well to make objects function better than they did before, but there is the odd failure due to a clergy member getting too innovative. Out front of the temple is an 8-foot-tall statue of Gond, which doubles as a fountain. Water flows from both the statue's hands. At the top of the hour, clockwork figures pop out along the edges of the temples to ring bells or strike anvils. Above the main doorway is one continuous spinning cogwheel. The temple also features a garden for contemplation, an experimental underground bathhouse, a large windmill atop the roof to power various things down below, and treasure and smoke powder vaults. A ruined Gondar monastery called Edgestone House can be found in Nether Mukshar of the Border Kingdom's region. When still active, this looked much like an odd fortress with sloping walls. At its gates stood two large cylindrical pedestals, and atop each pedestal were carved cubes of granite balanced on one corner. These cubes were enchanted to emit spell rays in defense of the monastery. Each acolyte at the monastery dedicated themselves solely to the creation of one particular item, which in turn could be sold at a profit. The clergy would also put on public rituals whereby they would lay out some parts and assemble a complex contraption or tool, all the while singing or chanting. Following the spell plague and the seeming destruction of Lantan, the Gondar faith was without their chief center of worship, so at the time the High Artificer was given permission by a gold dwarven population to erect a sizable temple to Gond. 
many Gondar artificers made their way out to the East Rift, which bordered Underchasm. Now, given 4th edition at the time had an artificer class, when I mean artificers here, I mean the proper arcane craft workers who we know in modern D&D as their own respective class. Quickly touching on a bit of history, the spell play claimed many gold dwarf cities and settlements as the ground caved way under them and forced the massive underchasm. The Gondar clergy who came out this way endeared themselves to the dwarves with many of their creations being put to use against the evil forces and creatures that would attack from the underchasm into the East Rift. This new home for Gondar leadership became known as the Craft House of Inspiration. Many people would travel to this place of worship in the hopes of selling their inventions to the clergy of Gond, or to be taken in as an apprentice. Likewise, the Gondar made good use of the raw materials present in the East Rift to further their own craftwork and invention. The building, while large in size, is plain in appearance, looking nothing more than a stone box. The craft house features a 20-foot-tall clockwork colossus, which is only just as deterrent at best, a bridge rigged with powerful springs, a small museum of inventions and creations, a central anvil-shaped altar much like others, though this one has gears, screws, and other pieces of metal floating around it, a sizable library of tomes and scrolls on craftwork and artifice, work rooms and an alchemy lab, and a perch above the upper level of the temple where the clergy house their griffin mounts. Dungeon Magazine issue 194 contains a map and more exacting detail on the craft house of inspiration. With Landham back in the picture, it may be that the High Artificer has since returned to retake their seat in the High Holy Craft House of Inspiration. That is if it remains in one piece still. Named temples to Ngond include the Purple Portals in Melvant, the House of Hands in Elversalt, the High House of the Wonderful Wheel in Ordulin, the High House of Skilled Hands in Tantras, the House of Wonder in Urmlaspir, the House of the Wheel in Westgate, and Gon Sabor in Almorel. An unnamed temple to Gon can be found in Tiraturos in Thay. An unnamed shrine to Gon can be found in Yahan. Character Options For 2nd edition, the Gonsman specialty priest can be found in Thays and Avatars. The Holy Builder Priest variant can be found in Warriors and Priests of the Realms. Not a member of the Gondar faith per se, but the Artificer Kit offered specifically to gnomes and demi-humans of the realms creates a gnome character who is a specialized warrior inventor. They specifically are trained in firearms and the use of smoke powder. Every one of them is a devout follower of Gond, and each tool and weapon in their possession is stamped with Gond's holy symbol. For 3rd edition, the TechSmith Prestige class can be found in Faiths and Pantheons. The Initiative Gone feat can be found in Player's Guide to Faerun. For 4th edition, Gone's Craft, a specific channel divinity feature, can be found in Forgotten Realms Player's Guide. New artificer powers and feats, including some related to the Gondar Faith, can be found in Dragon Issue 403. Following is a breakdown of the features that I think someone deeply involved in Gaunt's faith as an acolyte or otherwise could use as a custom background in 5th edition. For your two skill proficiencies, Investigation and Arcana. For language or tool proficiencies, two of any artisan's tools or thieves' tools.
For your equipment, there's the Guild Artisans from the Player's Handbook, though using some of that starting gold, start off with a Gondar Holy Symbol. For your feature, there's Acolyte Shelter of the Faithful from the Player's Handbook. I could suggest a modified Respect the Stout Folk from the Clan Crafter background in Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, so it's gnomes who esteem you highly rather than dwarves. And finally, there is the Guild Artisans Guild membership from the Player's Handbook as well. Here is a list of subclasses I think would be thematically appropriate for an NPC or PC to take if they are a worshipper of Gond. For the Artificer, there is literally every subclass currently available in 5th edition. This is the Alchemist, Artillerist, and Battlesmith found in both Eberron, Rising from the Last War, and Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. And then attached to that is the Armor, which is also found just in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. For the Bard, there's the College of Creation from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. For the Cleric, there's the Knowledge Domain from the Player's Handbook and Forge Domain from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Finally, there's the Sorcerer, there's the Divine Soul Sorcerer from Xanathar's Guide to Everything, and Clockwork Soul from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Dungeon Master Options To start, let's touch on official 5th edition creatures that likely would be found in connection to Gond, and then which sources these creatures are found in. For the monster manual, there's the four golem types. There's the pseudo-dragon, animated armor, flying sword, helmed horror, rugged smothering, and shield guardian. From Fizban's treasury of dragons, there's the four different stages of the crystal dragon and the dragon bone golem. From Acquisitions Incorporated, the keg robot. From Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus, the Flying Dagger. From Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, there's the Marut, which can also be found in Mordenkainen Presents Monsters of the Multiverse. From Curse of Straw, there's the Amber Golem, Animated Halberd, Broom of Animated Attack, and the Guardian Portrait. From Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, there is the Gearkeeper Construct. From Eberron, Rising from the Last War, the Expeditious Messenger, and Iron Defender. From Ghost of Saltmarsh, the Living Iron Statue, and Minotaur Living Crystal Statue. From Waterdeep Dragon Heist, the Mechanical Bird. From Icewind Dale, Rhyme the Frost Maiden, the Snow Golem. From Waterdeep Dungeon of the Mad Mage, the Animated Ballista, Animated Jade Serpent, Animated Stove, Crystal Battle Axe, Crystal Golem, Flying Trident, Metal Wasp, and Wooden Donkey. From Mythic Odysseys of Theros, the Anvil Rot Raptor, Bronze Sable, Burnished Heart, Goldforge Sentinel. From Wild by the Witchlight, the Glass Pegasus, Glasswork Golem, Living Doll, Swarm of Books, Swarm of Mechanical Spiders. From Candle Keep Mysteries, Animated Broom, Canopic Golem, Lightning Golem, Skitter Widget, Swarm of Animated Books. From Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, the Clockwork Bronze Scout, Clockwork Iron Cobra, Clockwork Oaken Bolter, Clockwork Stone Defender. From Out of the Abyss, the Four-Armed Statue, and Jade Giant Spider. From Strixhaven Curriculum of Chaos, the Cogwork Archivist, and Ruin Grinder. From Storm King's Thunder, the Clockwork Mule. From Tales from the Yawning Portal, the Animated Table, Flying Shield, Gargantuan Rug of Smothering, Stone Dragon Statue. Finally, from Tomb of Annihilation, the Clay Gladiator, and Stone Juggernaut. Staying on creatures, 
I just want to touch on some I just want to touch on some creatures that are associated with Gond but don't have a official 5th edition stat block. Steel dragons are an unusual type of true dragon preferring the company of humanoids and living in urban settings. They disguise themselves as humanoids as they make their way through urban life in their created identities. They always show at least one steel-like trait in this humanoid form, like gray eyes or wear a steel ornament. Their breath weapon is a cube of toxic gas. They lair in humanoid abodes where they keep their horde well guarded. They prefer staying in their humanoid form compared to their true form. The second edition stat block can be found in Monstrous Manual. The third edition stat block can be found in Dragons of Faerun. The fourth edition stat block can be found in Draconomicon 2, Metallic Dragons. Baku Holy Ones are a rare subset of creatures known as Baku. This elephantine creature has some strange physical characteristics to go along with its normal elephant-like features. It has lion-like hind legs, a dragon-like body, back, and tail. They may move about invisibly, as they can do so at will, as a result rarely being seen by people in the subtropical areas they tend to live in. They are quite intelligent, wielding different psionic abilities, and wielding all sorts of simple items held in their trunks like swords or wands. Of course, given their stature, they also attack with their strong legs and, tr and tusks. They are native to the outlands and the outer plains. The vast majority of them tend to be neutral good in alignment. However, there are evil and neutrally aligned Baku. The true neutral Baku, known as the Great Ones or the Holy Ones, only make up 5% of all Baku. This creature can be found in 1st edition's Monster Manual 2, and in 2nd edition's The Complete Psionix Handbook and Planescape Appendix Monstrous Compendium. Einhari are celestial warriors who fell in battle as humanoids. Of course, these celestial warriors might be known better to you through Norse myth, and indeed, they have a large presence on the outer plane of Ysgard. They can be found in 3rd edition's Deities and Demigods, and 2nd edition's Monstrous Compendium Outer Plains Appendix, and Planescape Appendix Monstrous Compendium. Mephits in general are nasty small elementals native to the various elemental planes. There is a greater variety of mephits known from the few in 5th edition sources, one being lightning mephits who find some use through Gond. This mephit's body is seemingly made of black lightning and has bulbous white hands and feet. It continuously gives off light and the smell of ozone. It is the fastest variant of mephits, zipping through the air despite its lack of wings, though they do lack maneuverability as a result. They are hyperactive and speak at an unrelenting speed. They attack with small bolts of electricity and regenerate health when contacted with an electric source. Lightning methods can be found in 2nd edition's Planescape Appendix Monsters Compendium. To round out this section of creatures, the following is just a small list of humanoid NPC stat blocks to represent the various Gone worshippers of clergy. Keep in mind with any of the spellcasters, you can always swap out their listed spells for more fitting spells. From the Monster Manual, there's the Acolyte and the Priest. Moving along to magic items. The Argear is a holy Gondar tome that takes the odd form of a metal cube that is roughly the same size and weight of a metal helmet. The Argear is constructed from a combination of spell-guarded adamantine, electrum plating, and ever-bright and blue-shine enchantments. Each side of the Argear bears six parallel bars on their surface. 
In the center of every bar is a circular ring handle. Pulling on a handle brings out the bar it is attached to. The bars are repositories for coiled sheets of thin metal that bear a spell of note to the Gondar faith. Each bar is enchanted to only allow someone to pull out a spell after reciting the, quote, six secret names of Gond in order. I will note none of these names came up in looking through other books, so I don't know where this information is being pulled from. This was the first and only place these names came up. The secret names of Gond in order are Arnaglaris, Belatang, Deros Deros, Clonada, Morangor, and Tatabol. Failing to speak these names correctly will cause a chain lightning smell to emit in the Argir will dimension door in a random direction, not taking the person touching it. A scroll was found in a Gondar cache in Termish. This scroll, penned by an anonymous author, speaks to a secret spell that can only be revealed by the Argir by pulling out all the bars on every side and reciting Gon's secret names once more. If done correctly, this hidden spell's features will be produced in glowing letters on the back of one of the thin metallic pages. The Argir was created in secret in Lantan. The last true record of the Argir was in the collection of a noted collector. It was unfortunately taken from him by a sizable force of gargoyles who murdered the collector and took all his valuables. These gargoyles flew into the forest of Tithir, which is also known as the Wildath. An adventurer tells a story of how he held the Argir in hand in the southern reaches of the forest. There he found himself in an underground complex that was crumbling all around him. He was beset by whites and had to make an escape, unfortunately losing the Argir in the process, or so the story goes. His story has of yet to be corroborated. A fuller description of the Argir's contents and its history can be found in 2nd edition's Prayers from the Faithful. During Gon's time in his avatar form during the Time of Troubles, he fashioned pouches that contained an unlimited supply of smoke powder. These magic items came to be known as a pouch of black essence. The gnomes of Lantan would come to discern how to make these items and began to distribute them out to trusted centers of invention throughout Faerun. Each of these pouches is stained with Gon's holy symbol upon the front. No drawstring cinches the pouch closed, but it is watertight and easy to open. The user of the pouch has access to a maximum of 5 pounds of smoke powder every 10 day. Smoke powder that is taken out of the pouch has to be used within the hour or it will vanish. The holder of the pouch gains resistance to fire damage, but strictly to fire that stems from a smoke powder explosion. Only worshippers of Gon may use this magic item. The Pouch of Black Essence can be found in Dragon Magazine issue 333. To round out this section on Dungeon Master options, the following are just somatically appropriate magic items from official 5th edition sources I feel the Faith of Gond may have access to. From the Dungeon Master's Guide, Alchemy Jug, Animated Shield, Apparatus Aqualish, Beat of Force, Boots of Striding and Springing, Brooch of Shielding, Broom of Flying, Cap of Water Breathing, Chime of Opening, Darren's Instant Fortress, The Dancing Sword, The Canter of Endless Water, Drift Globe, Ever Smoking Bottle, Eyes of Minute Seeing, The Various Figurines of Wondrous Power, The Folding Boat, 
Gem of Brightness, Gem of Seeing, Goggles of Night, Bag of Holding, Heward's Handy Haversack, Lantern of Revealing, Manual of Golems, Nalzer's Marvelous Pigments, Oil of Etherealness, Oil of Slipperiness, Oil of Sharpness, Portable Hole, Ring of X-Ray Vision, Rope of Climbing, Rope of Entanglement, Sending Stones, Sovereign Glue, Universal Solvent, Winged Boots, and Wings of Flying. From Eberron, Rising from the Last War, Arcane Propulsion Arm, Cleansing Stone, Everbright Lantern. From Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, Arcane Cannon, Breathing Bubble, Fox Seeker. From Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, though I will note Mizium is a particular element or alloy, I'm not sure which, that's specific to Ravnica, though you could probably reflavor Mizium to be something else in the realms. The Mizium Apparatus, Mizium Armor, Mizium Mortar, and the Pyro Converger. From Mythic Odysseys of Theros, a reflavored Akmon Hammer of Perforos. From Out of the Abyss, the Wanda Viscid Globs. From Tasha's Culture and Everything, the plus one to plus three all-purpose tool, and Liar a Building. From Waterdeep Dragon Heist, of course, Smoke Powder. Finally, from Xanathar's Guide to Everything, Boots of False Tracks, Clockwork Amulet, Lock of Trickery, and Orb of Direction. Alright, thank you for listening to Religion in the Realms. If you are interested in keeping up with the release of future episodes, you can follow the podcast Twitter account at Realms Religion. These episodes are also uploaded to YouTube as well. Audio versions of the podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. If you wish to get in touch with me, my contact details are in the episode description. With the gods of knowledge and invention complete, we will next be turning our attention towards Tempest and the Red Knight. Tempest will be up first, the chaotic neutral god of war and battle. Until next time, may Timora look kindly upon your dice rolls, Helm protect you, and Lathander light your path. Music for this episode, Sir Fireheart by Anne Grimm of tubersongs.com.